standing on the roof of the coal-fired power station just south of Craig, Colorado. It's a clear day. I can see the rolling hills of the Yampa River Valley, running east towards Steamboat Springs and west towards Dinosaur National Monument. Down below, the town of Craig is sparkling in the morning sunlight. For Tim Osborne, the coal plant manager, the view from up here has special meaning. Well, I've been here for 31 years, it's home. I was actually born in Craig. I was younger when the place was built. I graduated high school right about the time Unit 3 was coming online. So I got to experience a lot of boom in the town when there were lots of extra bodies around. Standing well over six feet tall with a powerful build, Tim very much looks the part of a no-nonsense foreman. He works for Tri-State and supervises over 100 employees. He keeps everything operating smoothly. He also has a sense of humor about some other skills that come in handy. I actually uh, have a degree in sociology and a master's degree in family life and an MBA in engineering and technology management. So in general, I'll just say I do a lot of parenting. (laughs) (laughs) We walk over to the edge of the roof. We're in the shadow of three towering stacks, each corresponding to one of the station's three operational units. Far below, we see heavy conveyor equipment and rail cars that bring in coal from the nearby mines, Trapper and Kalawayo. Massive piles of coal have already been unloaded on the ground. We have a coal train that comes in every day from Kalawayo, about 30 miles south of us here. 100 car train, 11,500 tons. Uh, We unload one of those every day into that pile. All the coal from Trapper, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 tons a day, is delivered over here onto this pile. Tim has enough coal on hand to power thousands of homes and businesses for over a month. These reserves can be stored indefinitely and burned as needed to meet electricity demands in any weather, any time of day. Historically, that's been a selling point for coal compared to renewable energy sources like wind and solar. The sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow, but coal has always been there. There are significant downsides though. Burning coal emits significant amounts of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, which contribute to global warming. Even the cleanest burning coal plants still release harmful pollutants into the air. And that's partly why recent polling shows the public shying away from coal. People want greener energy. Colorado's 2019 Climate Action Bill was just the latest indication that the state is moving in a different direction. Tim's employer, Tri-State, is moving on too. In January 2020, the member-owned utility company made the decision to phase out its coal mines and the coal plant over the next decade in order to invest more in renewables. Tim sees what's coming. He knows that the end is in sight. The plant is closing down. There will be effect on the community. the plan is closing. I don't see a pendulum swing in a different direction to allow this to continue. Um, just don't, don't see it. I don't think that the will of the tri-state members wants that to happen either. And that's what we're here for, is to provide power for the tri-state members. The members want cleaner and greener uh, energy on the grid. That's what tri-state's gonna try to do. He turns back and looks down at the rail yard again, where coal is still being unloaded. You can see this pile has gone down significantly if you'd been here a year ago, but it is uh, energy storage. 
if you if you look at it in, the, in those terms. We have the ability to use that fuel to produce electricity, so we've got storage here on the ground. It's just coal, and that's unpopular for society. This is Coal at Sunset, a Colorado town in transition. I'm your host, Kristen Uhlenbrock. I work at the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. In order to understand the ongoing energy transition, we needed to understand more about the science of coal and the changing economics of using it to generate energy. How exactly does a primordial rock mined out of the ground become the electricity we use every day? Coal is very, very, very old. It's found all over the world. Colorado's reserves lightly date back to the Upper Cretaceous period, somewhere between 66 and 100 million years ago. Back then, much of what is now North America was covered in swampland. Dead plants fell into those swamps, creating thick layers of organic debris. Over millions of years, more and more layers got added. Eventually, the heat and the pressure of the Earth's changing surface compacted all that material so tightly that all the oxygen was forced out and only carbon was left behind. Those ancient deposits are the black coal seams we can find today. Once humans arrived, we discovered that coal burns really, really well. There's some evidence that early civilizations, including the Aztecs and the Romans, used coal as fuel in a limited capacity. It was particularly useful for cooking and metalworking. But it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution in the mid-1800s that coal became a primary source of energy. Coal-powered steamships and locomotives enabled the rise of modern commerce. It was used to generate electricity for factories and homes. It's no understatement to say that life as we know it today was built on the energy generated from coal. We're about to see the power generation process up close. We follow Tim inside the Craig station. It's dark and cavernous, humming with the sounds of machinery. Remember all that coal we saw outside in a pile? Tim shows us where it's headed next. We bring that coal into the plant on conveyor belt and drop it through those cars into coal silos. From the coal silos, it drops down into the pulverizer. The pulverizer crushes it up big primary air fans blow that up into the furnace where we combust it. The coal coming up here comes up here at about 900 tons per hour. So what does that mean? 15 tons a minute. Coal creates energy when it's burned. And in order to burn that much of it, you need a pretty big furnace. We're about to look directly inside it. We follow Tim down a narrow walkway until it ends at a metal wall and a porthole. We'll look at the fireball a little bit. We'll look at a, a burner where the coal is actually being injected into the furnace, and we can see what happens in the combustion zone. He opens it to reveal an orange inferno, a wall of flame generating so much heat and light that it requires a tinted welding mask to view safely. I have a little advantage because I'm a little bit taller. But if you can look through this port at about a 45 degree angle, you can see the tubes go kind of around another hole 
and coal is actually being blown into the furnace right here. And you can kind of see that. You can see the immediate combustion. You don't want to look without the mask. And let me tell you, it's like looking straight into the belly of a star. I have a, a dark screen in front of my face, so I can actually look into it. My fingers are on the side, and I can feel the super hot temperature. It's like the hottest day on a beach with the sun beating down on you, and you're in the hot sand. You're like, I can't put my foot on this. It's so hot. And what's the temperature inside here? The temperature right down here, I'd say, is about 1,600 degrees. That combustion creates energy, but it also releases harmful particulates like sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxides. All three units of the Craig station are equipped with what are known as scrubbers, which help reduce those pollutants before they escape into the air. Low ash, low sulfur, high BTU, oh, and low mercury. It's low on lots of bad stuff. This coal from this part of the world, sub-bituminous, um, it's very good clean coal, if you can see how that can be clean compared to back east. That term, clean coal, came up often during our visit, and it's somewhat controversial. Sometimes, as Tim was using it, it refers to the specific chemical attributes of coal, which can vary throughout the country. Other times, the term refers to improved coal treatment technology, like the scrubbers. And occasionally, it's just partisan jargon. There's actually no universally agreed-upon definition. And it's true that coal processes have improved over the years. We no longer see billowing black smoke coming out of the stacks, for example. But it's also true that coal can't reasonably be called clean compared to most other energy sources. It's an example of language playing a role in how we think about complex topics. We continue following Tim through the station. All of that fire in the furnace is really intended to do just one thing, heat tremendous amounts of water to create steam. And that means you also need a giant boiler. Most people might expect a boiler to be in the basement. Not here. Try the ceiling. The boiler is that silver line box right there. It's about 50 feet long over there. It's almost square. So the boiler, actually, it's about 7,550 tons empty, and it's just hanging there. It's suspended from the roof because it gets so hot that it needs room on all sides to expand and contract. Once the water heats, the high-pressure steam spins a series of massive turbines, which generate electricity. What's happening here at the business end of the generator is 22,000 volts going out. And voila, that energy is off to the grid. As we wrap up the tour, Tim beams with pride about the station and its process. This place has been his life for a long time. But there's a tinge of sadness about the current realities. A decade ago, Coal accounted for almost 70% of the electricity generated in Colorado. By 2020, that share had been cut in half. Things are changing, and Tim knows that. He doesn't see any choice but to carry on. The industry, it's a tough industry to be employed in without knowing that there's a lot of controversy about it. It looks different for us now, but we still have to keep 
the lights on. We're still making power. We're still doing the work. Uh, we're still doing this. So I always try to offer some kind of hope. Across the state, cold closure announcements have accelerated in recent years. Colorado Springs Utilities will close its Martin Drake station in 2023. Excel Energy plans to shutter coal plants in Fort Morgan and Hayden by 2028, earlier than anticipated. And Tri-State itself retired the Nuclear Coal Facility in Western Colorado ahead of schedule in 2019. Suzanne Tagan was curious about what that would mean for Colorado. She's an energy scientist and economist by training, including 14 years at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. She thinks a lot about the cost of coal. My projects uh, had to do with the comparison between renewable energy coming into a community and a coal plant. But in 2018, she felt like she needed a different perspective. She knew an academic approach wasn't sufficient to understand what the impending end of coal really meant. I moved to the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University, where I am now, and uh, became really interested in the growing divides, economic, cultural, and political, and kind of the intolerance in our country. Um, we at the center are really careful to work in a bipartisan way and could see that you know political divides and also the rural-urban divides were um, seemed to be growing. And so I was really interested in exploring that, especially in regards to the energy transition. Suzanne wanted to get firsthand insight from coal country. So she traveled out to northwestern Colorado. I thought I could talk to people in coal country around here and listen to them, you know, hear about what they think about the energy transition. Do they think it's coming or do they think Donald Trump is going to save the coal jobs? Or are they getting ready kind of for the next phase? But I didn't want to go in there assuming that I, you know, had answers because I had a lot of questions for them too and they had the answers, right? She started listening and she wasn't sure what to expect. At the beginning, there was sort of less of an acceptance that the coal plants in that area might close. But soon the announcements came all over the country of coal plants closing and um, they became, you know, more, more worried and also... Um, they were they were frustrated that they weren't being included in some of the conversations about the changes. So the policymakers were making changes, the utilities were making changes, but they really had not involved the local communities that mined the coal and that generated, you know, the coal power. So that was frustrating for them, and I can totally understand why. It's hard feeling like you're not being heard. That frustration, though, also likely stems from the fact that coal isn't the market driver that it used to be. Supply and demand have changed the U.S. electricity landscape dramatically. So for the economics of energy, you know, there are a lot of different sides to it, but most people are interested in costs and the cost of energy or cost of electricity. And we've really seen that change in recent decades. And so going back, but not going back a century, you know, just going back about 20 years or even just 10 years, 
we've seen the cost of natural gas really decline. And that is mostly because of hydraulic fracturing or fracking. And so the cost of gas went down really sharply. And at the same time, the cost of wind power and solar power has also declined really sharply. And so it started really with the fracking and that made gas so much cheaper than coal that many coal plants in this country became uneconomical to run. And so even though we're still paying off those coal plants, it's still cheaper to work out a way to pay off those stranded assets or those coal plants and buy cheaper electricity from natural gas and from wind and solar. And so, you know, today in some areas, even building a new wind farm is cheaper than running an old coal plant, which, you know, you would not have seen that 10 years ago. But today, because the costs have come down, you are really seeing that. It's not just the dollar value of coal that's changed. Our collective understanding about its other costs has changed too. We didn't know back then as much about the pollution that coal would cause. And even with all of the controls, that environmental controls that we can put on the stacks, you know, we still emit too much pollution and we're still causing the greenhouse gas emissions that have really negative health effects. So even if you can't see it coming out of the stacks, it is coming out of the stacks. That was one of the questions that I got, you know, in coal country. It is so beautiful in some of these places and the skies are blue. And so it's hard to imagine that that pollution is coming out of the stacks, but it is. And it gets reported by whoever owns that coal plant. And you can read those reports and see, oh yeah, you know, it is actually emitting these uh, dangerous greenhouse gases and um, CO2. And now, just as coal once displaced wood-burning stoves, it's being replaced by its competition. We have had a lot of money, both from industry and government, poured into research and development. And that has greatly increased the efficacy of both, you know, solar and wind. Colorado right now, uh, we're at about 24% wind power. And that is more than the rest of the country. So we're at about a third renewables in Colorado and about a third coal and a third natural gas. I think we'll phase out of coal in the next decade and we still have natural gas. We'll you know, phase out of that eventually too, but not probably as soon as coal. Suzanne made several trips back to Craig over the course of 2018 and 2019. And she helped produce a documentary series highlighting voices from the town. The COVID-19 pandemic has prevented her from going back in person since, but she's still invested in this town. I wanted to be somebody who could help out. Um, I know I'm from the outside, but I really do want to help. I think the energy transition is going to get us to a better place, but that's not better necessarily for each individual, right? It's better for the whole society and for our children, but it's not necessarily better for that particular worker. And so what can we do for that particular worker and that particular worker's family to help them be more resilient and be able to weather this transition better than they otherwise would be able to? There's lots of people who care about this community, but a successful transition for Craig is going to require a lot of trust. Somebody needs to work to build relationships on the ground and then have that person on the ground be able to talk to a decision maker, you know, and have them have a real connection, either by Zoom or in person. But I feel like decision makers are 
a little bit cut off from rural communities right now. It was January 10th, 2020, and State Senator Bob Rankin was absolutely beside himself. There would be people crying in in Craig, Colorado today. Tri-State had just announced the coal closures in Craig. That news would have major ramifications for his district. At the Capitol building that day, he gave a fiery interview to a local TV station. We're willing to sacrifice an entire county of human beings so that we can make an ideological, symbolic gesture. I don't agree with that. That passion is emblematic of Senator Rankin, a Republican who represents much of Colorado's western slope. He's built his legislative reputation on getting straight to the point. You know, I did. I had a 30, 40-year career and as an engineer and an executive in engineering businesses. And that totally influences the way I think. I, I just like to solve problems. I've been called a lousy politician because I look at things. <laughs> I look at things uh, in terms of here's a problem that we can try to solve rather than how does it affect me politically. The tri-state announcement likely means the end of hundreds of jobs in his district. It outraged him that day at the Capitol because he was thinking about the well-being of his constituents. Months later, he's more contemplative about the difficult position that tri-state was in. It was just a further acceleration of the closure of the mines, not totally unexpected, although it was a surprise to the locals. I think they did what they had to do. I don't blame Tri-State at all. They're trying to be helpful in the transition as best they can. They had several pressures. They had pressure from the state to accelerate closure, but they also had pressure from their customers, the local rural electric associations, and their clients were pushing them toward renewable energy. So, you know, they had to respond to their you know, their clients and to the state. I think they did what they had to do. When it comes to energy, Senator Rankin walks the tightrope between aspiration and pragmatism. Clearly, we're, we're undergoing uh, a transition to renewable energy. You know, I, I represent probably, I think, most of the coal mines in the state and about 15,000 gas wells. So... I feel I have an obligation to try to balance the pace of transition. At the same time, I support it. I do believe that climate change is real. I do believe there's a you know, human contribution, also natural evolution and contribution. I would argue that those goals should be realistic in the sense of their impact on sort of the global Uh, transition to renewable energy and control of, of climate change, greenhouse gases. There's another elephant in the room during all of these discussions about climate change. Colorado is just one state. And the U.S. is just one nation. Around the world, not everyone is moving away from coal. China and India, for example, are still building coal plants at a rapid rate. Global coal demand is actually projected to increase in 2021, reversing the recent trend. Should Colorado be the beacon for the rest of the world? 
or not? You know, should we take into account what the Chinese are doing every day, building? I mean, actually, coal use worldwide is increasing. While we are um, have decided to put our coal mines out of business. I mean, that's our strategy, or that's the strategy of the state, not my strategy. So we are doing that, and we are transitioning faster than would actually be necessary if we kept pace with the rest of the world. Suzanne disagrees. It's not about what others are or aren't doing. The United States should definitely be leading the way on carbon emissions reduction and on building renewable energy. China and India are still building coal, but they're also building wind and solar. And so in China, they report to have more wind turbines than we do in the United States. So those markets are also growing fast. But of course, the U.S. should be leading the way. We use more energy than anyone else. I mean, per capita. Back at the Craig station, Tim Osborne has heard the China argument from his coworkers too. I guess what I tell them is that is, uh, that is outside of our control. What's outside my control, I'm not necessarily going to worry about too much. I uh, think the U.S. and Colorado in particular is trying to be the front runner in all of the, the clean and green production. And, and that's good. There has to be somebody with an ideal out there to achieve. Um, is that the most beneficial for the population right now? I can't say. But that's what I tell them. I, I just say that uh, I don't have control of that, so I'm not going to worry about that necessarily. And then what we can do here is write our senators and, and have a voice in local or, or state politics and, and just try to have our voice heard somehow. Energy is a global challenge, but that doesn't mean we can't work towards solutions. As an engineer, I'm fascinated by the developments that are going on in energy. Uh, I believe that we can let the communities that we've talked about benefit from that transition, whether that's using coal for precious metals, whether it's using hydrogen in the existing plant. Uh, you know, I think the community can directly benefit from that technology uh, change. And so I'm actually excited about working on energy transition we're going to dive into new alternative energy technologies, like hydrogen, later in this series. But for now, I'll say the move toward renewables could eventually align with job creation in Craig as Tri-State looks for ways to repurpose the facility. And I, I think that's uh, what we need to be looking at. We should be able to repurpose some of this somehow. Uh, some of the technology doesn't exist yet, and a retrofit on a unit like this could be pretty cost prohibitive. But we should still look at it. What what are the numbers? While new things are on the horizon for the Craig Coal Plant, we can't overlook the pain that comes with change. But I uh, I think as plant manager, I'll I'll speak for what I want for the employees first. Something sustainable for them. For me, I get to retire. I'm, I'm the right age, so does that make it better? Not at all. 
I'm looking for something sustainable for me and a way of life. Wide open spaces. Not a whole bunch of people. I like that. <laughs> but um, the sustainability to me is what I want for the employees here. If they want to stay here, I want them here. If they want to move on to some other opportunity, um, good for them. I don't know what Craig's going to look like, but I'm going to be here. sunset. We'll hear why addressing climate change is kind of like repairing your car. Plus, hear more voices from Craig and beyond as the transition looms. Be sure to subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. Coal at Sunset was created by the Institute for Science and Policy, a project of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, produced in partnership with House of Pod. I'm your host, Kristen Uhlenbrock. This show was written by Trent Noss. Our producer is Juliette Luini. Our executive producers are Trent Noss and me, Kristen Muhlenbrock. Our field recorders are Nicole Delaney and Juliette Luini. Our story editor is Katherine Jaffe. Sound design and mastering by Jason Patton. Graphic design by Nicole Dodlinger. Web design by Carlos Mosqueda. Special thanks to George Sparks and the town of Craig, Colorado. To hear bonus clips and find additional resources, visit coalatsunset.org.